for all those who feel called to build something bigger than themselves, but have no idea or representation as to how to bring it to pass. This podcast is for you. Let's figure it out together. Get ready. Let's build. Four, three, two, one. Everything that you've been through up until this point has helped you create your why. And when you have a strong why, nothing will stop you. What it is, what's up? I got nothing but communion juice in my cup. <laughs> Hi, praise the Lord. Hi. Have you been? Wow. Thank you for tuning into this. Here we are. I say this all the time, but it's true nonetheless. It's been a minute. But I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you tuned in to another episode of Building Without a Blueprint. As always, it is your host, your friend, your brother, Princeton Parker. And I, as always, am thankful to God for life and love. And I'm thankful to you for listening. So here we go, y'all. Let's take a moment of reflection before we get into the content for the episode. I want to talk about something really good that has me reflecting. And then I want to talk about something that has me kind of stressing out. But it will lead into today's episode. Here's the good news. Let me do the bad news first. Let me do the bad news first. And then we'll end on a, on a light note. Um, yo, I am recording this. Again, the time that you hear it will probably be, it'll be a few weeks from this date. But I'm, I'm recording this intro, oddly enough, the day that it is released by the Kentucky Grand Jury in the case of Breonna Taylor, that no officers are indicted for the killing of Breonna Taylor. One officer was indicted, uh, but was indicted for essentially endangerment of the neighboring apartments by virtue of the shots that were fired. <laughs> so in essence, someone died, but we find issue with the fact that someone could have been killed in the neighboring apartment's home but, but we see nothing wrong with the death of the person who was actually killed in their apartment, in their home. And uh, y'all, I am, goodness gracious, exhausted and broken. And um, I think I'm, I'm so hurt and I'm so infuriated, really. I, I think I'm reaching an anger and a divestment from the term justice and from from the system as a whole because this is not the first time we've seen this right and and there are only so many isolated incidents you can endure until you just call a thing a thing and acknowledge it for what it is and i'm feeling so much of that that i've even wanted to cry and the tears haven't come and so i you know i'm gonna do some more content about this because the conversation needs to be had but we were in the middle of the anxiety series before and so i wrestled do we post another anxiety series clip do we do some other things and we're gonna have some more conversations that i can't wait to air on this but i decided to continue with the anxiety series particularly because of where we left off in this this episode this sermon teaching rather is a is a great way to think to sh- to talk about it 
that we recorded because to me, one of the things that I've been wrestling with is there's a lot of um, God's going to work it out and God loves us and God sees us and, and all that fun stuff. And and listen, nobody believes that as much as I do. I, you know, I, I preach it, so I better believe it. And at the same time, that doesn't mean that the feelings of injustice and the feelings of of despair and the feelings of hopelessness and the feelings of then pending anxiety like what else can happen this can happen so what else and what's going to happen when if it's my turn that stuff's very real and oftentimes my faith doesn't cancel out the fact that I'm experiencing this in real time that though I am a spirit I'm a spirit that's inhabiting a black body that's experiencing this in my blackness and that 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 allows for my soul to go through the very low lows that come with this black experience in this context, in America, in this place that, um, quite frankly, has never been concerned about my experience. And so I want to hold space for that. I want to hold space for those of you who are believers who say like the man said in the new testament to jesus lord i believe but help my unbelief like look you know i get it you have a plan you are god you're all that and yet i'm still navigating these emotions and as i'm sitting here there's anxiety building up about the future right you know you're probably listening to this we haven't touched the election yet but that is pending we and and the election is not happening on november 3rd we're in the midst of the elections we're voting by mail we're figuring things out but the impending anxiety that comes from that. And I think I, I just said, let's keep going with this series because somebody probably needs this more than ever because of your looming anxiety, whether it's because of politics, whether it's because of pandemic, whether it's because of relationships, whatever, whatever. But we also need this because there's this pending struggle we have, which is that just go straight to faith, right? I'm a person of faith. God has a plan. Nothing matters on this earth, but that's not the truth. And to prove that's not the truth in this anxiety series, I asked this question, which was this. Did Jesus ever struggle with anxiety? The same Jesus who uh, healed people and who, you know, does this, the, is, does the super miraculous, is God in the flesh, all that fun stuff that we believe. Did he struggle with anxiety? Did he ever get to the point where it was too much for him? Did he ever deal with the struggle that this is? mentally emotionally and physically right that's the way we described it in the series if you've been rocking with us for the past four or five episodes that it's on three levels right it is a mental experience it is a soul experience that includes your emotions and then it's a spiritual one as well did he experience that and that's what we're going to talk about i'm going to answer that question did jesus experience anxiety and i think this is going to help those of us who are struggling with our faith and our humanity as we deal with all this stuff that's going on so uh yeah that's that's what I'm processing. I'm dealing with that, but I hope that this is going to bless you in the same way that it blessed me. All right. Uh, here we go. Before we kick in, here's some good news. The podcast reached 1000 downloads. So in the midst of all the crazy, somebody's listening to this and you're being blessed by it. And that gave me a second wind and an affirmation that I didn't know I needed. And so we're just going to keep chugging out episodes. You know, I realized that there is a consistency 
um, that I want to put into these episodes so that people continue to be blessed because it's helping somebody. Even if I don't know who you are, who your name is or where you're listening from or all that, you're listening and you're sharing and it's blessing you. It's blessing someone. And so I want to continue to do that. Here's the hope in that. In the midst of all that's going on in the world, we will continue to find the light of God within us. We will continue to find moments of love and of joy and of purpose. We will continue to find things like this podcast where we can identify with one another, process together, and then find hope to move forward. We will continue to build our communities. We will continue to serve the least of these among us. We we will continue to move forward in the light of God that is present within us. That as darkness continues to grow, as darkness continues to find other ways to manifest itself, we will continue to tap into, to see, and then to be the light. Because the light of God is real and it is always more powerful than darkness. And it is that light that is present within us. And it is that light that we will share and put out into the world, no matter how ugly and ratchet darkness wants to be. So let's get into this, grab some notes, let's hang out y'all and let's enter this question. Here we go. Part five of this series. Uh, Did Jesus ever struggle with anxiety? And uh, if so, what happened? Let's get it. If you would, uh, we're going to read Luke 22, but before we do that, we're in a series again that I'm going to continue laboring in for the rest of the year. And our series is called Chill Out. Everybody say chill out. Look at somebody next to you and tell them chill out. Look back at that neighbor and tell them I'm chilling. I'm chilling. I'm doing the best I can. We're in a series about anxiety because I believe that it is possible to be saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost and all that other fun stuff, called, anointed, appointed, baptized, and all that stuff, and still struggle in your mind. It is the case, and I'm going to prove it to you uh, in Scripture today. We've been laboring. This is part five of this series. where We've been laboring to understand when that happens, how do I navigate the fact that I'm a believer? I believe in God. I, I, I am saved. I've come into contact with God. I, I believe in the word of God. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. But yet I have this war within myself, particularly in my mind, as it relates to anxiety. And because many of us didn't have healthy conversations about it, particularly in the church space, we felt like it was something you just had to deal with. And we were told a number of things. We were told either nothing about it or we were just told pray about it. But we weren't given a healthy framework for how to understand it. What is it? What am I experiencing? What's going on in my mind? Is there help for it? How do I understand it? And more importantly, how do I go through this as a believer? So very quick, eyes closed, eyes closed all over the house, eyes closed all over the house, eyes closed, eyes closed, eyes closed. Uh, We did this probably two parts ago. I want to do it one more time. Hands up if you have ever struggled with anxiety. We talked about different types. Hands up if you've ever struggled with anxiety. I'm going to deal with fan. Fantastic. All right. While hands are up, go ahead and open your eyes. While your hands, while hands are up, open your eyes. I want you to see that's about 80% of this room, 80 to 85%. Okay. Hands down. Now, remember, we had the opportunity to unpack when we started this series, uh, how we understand anxiety and what it is and all that kind of stuff. We hinge our study on John 10 and 10, right? John 10 and 10. Pop quiz, if you've been rolling with me through this series. I hope that if you've heard nothing else, you know this scripture, John 10 and 10. I'm going to start it for you. I want you to finish it. The thief cometh not, but for to. Great. 
then there's an interjection there. But Jesus is going to pivot to announce Jesus's purpose versus or over the purpose of Satan. He says, but I am come that you might have fantastically. So, so fantastically, huh? Fantastic. What we're pulling out is that Jesus says, I come that you might have life and, right? So we talked about this in a couple of series that, that that first life we can look at as the life of salvation, salvific life. I know that when I get saved, I am reconciled back to God, thereby guaranteeing me everlasting life. In that great getting up morning, fare thee well, fare thee well. In that great, man, I love, see, God bless y'all that grew up in church indulgence, something like that, right? That's taken care of. One of these old days, by and by, sign me up for the Christian Jubilee. I'll fly away when the saints go marching in. I wish I was in New Orleans. But Jesus says, yes, that is my, my, my first order of business is that life, the secured spiritual life through salvation. But he says, I come that you might have life and the repetition of that word infers that there's something deeper than the first life. Not necessarily deeper, but there's something that Jesus wants to reemphasize. Yeah, I'm concerned about you getting to heaven. But I'm also concerned about the quality of your state of existence on earth. Isn't that something powerful about God? I'm so glad that God wasn't just self-interested in getting me with him. But he was concerned about how I'm going to live in our time apart. Does that make sense? Before I get there to be with him in eternity. God is still concerned about the quality of life I have right here. So then, it begs us to ask the question, why then would God only want me to be saved but not be concerned about my mental health? Many of us live as though God only cares about me speaking in tongues but doesn't care about me having peace when I go to sleep at night. And we rob God of God's concern. We rob God of God's care. We rob God of the nature of God when we say that God's concerned about my faith, but not about my mind. So we've been on a journey for these past four series, now five, to look at how do I navigate that? How do I walk through being saved and being full of faith, but allowing God to bring healness and to bring healing and wholeness and understanding to my battle with anxiety? so that I can have peace in my mind. Let's go to Luke 22. In our last session, I gave you five truths about anxiety. In parts past, we've dealt with the four lies about anxiety. In the last part of this series, we talked about the five truths about anxiety. I'll recap them very quickly. One, Truth is that God does not want you to live under the control of anxiety. That's a truth. God does not want you to live under the control of anxiety. And we know that from Isaiah 26 and 3. We've unpacked all this in our last uh, teaching. We 
provided a whole bunch of scriptures to support it. The second truth was that you are more than your anxiety. Anxiety is not an identity. And we've got to be careful to not attach what we're struggling with as our identity. I might experience anxiety, but that is not all of who I am. That is not the identity that God has given me. I have to make sure that I'm affirming who God has said I am. So that gives me the strength to navigate what I'm wrestling with. This thing does not have me. I am a whole person created by God that is not defined by what I struggle with. Number three, a healthy, peaceful life is possible. So many of us, because we've suffered with something, particularly how long we suffer with it, we start to condition ourselves to believe that maybe this is just my lot. Maybe I'm just supposed to deal with it. If if it's been going on this long, if it continues to happen situation after situation, maybe this just is what it is. But that's not the case. A healthy, peaceful life is possible. And we have to begin telling ourselves that so that we can reach for the healing. Do you know that you reach for what you believe? That sometimes the reason why people don't reach for help is because they either don't believe that there is help or they might believe there is help, but they don't believe that they deserve that help. So you have to begin telling yourself, no, I I know how long I've been experiencing this. I know what's going on, but a healthy, peaceful life is possible. Healing is possible. Deliverance is possible. Clarity of mind is possible. The ability for me to have control is possible. Just say that. It is possible. Come on, say it one more time. Say it is possible. The fourth truth that we talked about in our last part of this series is that anxiety is common And it's a regular human emotion. And the reason why it's important to tease that out is because part of what keeps us bound is the fact we feel like there's something wrong with us. We go, ooh, why, why? I I had someone very dear to me. We were calling. uh, This person called me over the course of this week. We were talking about some stuff they were going through. And the person said, I called you because I was wondering, like, Am I crazy? Something must be wrong with me that after going through this, I felt like this. When in actuality, that's not the case. It's a device of Satan to get you isolated enough to never reach for the help you need. So what the enemy does, he says, you know there's something wrong with you. You know when so-and-so went through that, they bounced back much quicker than you did. You know you're a little bit too old to be feeling that way? You know you got too much money to be struggling with that? Do you know that typically people who have college degrees don't struggle with? Do do, do you know that typically people who preach, this is how the enemy got me, do you know that to be a preacher, preachers don't deal with that? So you probably shouldn't be honest about the fact that it's a part of your reality. And all the enemy does when he gets you to believe that is buys more time to get you deeper in the stronghold. You see that weapon? And so what we do is, this is what's crazy. We think that darkness is protecting us from some type of exclusion. When in actuality, darkness is preventing us from healing. So one of the first things, man, I don't even, this is, I don't even have a whole lot of time to stay here. 
one of the first things God will start to do when God is about to bring you into a season of healing is tell you to talk about what you're struggling with. It's oftentimes the hardest part. It's the hardest part, but it's often where God begins. When you start asking God, hey, I really want you to heal me from this that I struggle with. And I I really think I'm ready to move on from this. God will say, hey, I've put this person in your life. Tell them that it's been going on. And you'll be like, oh, no, 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 God. I was just hoping you would heal me with just like me and you. And then I would just go back to church and tell them like, praise the Lord. I'm healed. Look at me. I'm happy and I'm home and I'm living my best life. Watch this. The beginning of breaking Satan's hold is to bring the light to it. Because what happened to roaches when you turn the light on? All of a sudden, they start going and all that. That is what God wants to do to your trauma. Here's why. Because when you are open about it, you literally disarm it of its power. And you know why the church is bound? Because there's stuff we should have been talking about 24, 5, 6, 8, 9 years ago. And we would have realized everybody crazy. We would have realized that everybody was having sex. Awkward. We would have realized that nobody liked anybody. And had we discussed it, we would have robbed the devil of his power, put it on the table and say, okay, now that it's out, (laughs) we're all dealing with it. Now let's become whole. And so, so first Corinthians 10, 13 is powerful because he says, there is no temptation taken you except such as is what? common so now we could be sitting over coffee and i'd be like okay bro where do you get you <laughs> okay for me this is where it happened he'd be like yeah now that was two times ago is when i was when it happened for me this is what it feels like to go through this when was the last time you sat with another believer and just talked about what it felt like to be in what you go? do you know how much healing is in just sitting with another believer And having somebody full of faith talk back to you and go, this sucks. (laughs) Have have you ever found how much healing there is when you sit across from another believer? Like, we don't get to prayer, I promise. Well, I promise we're going to pray in tongues. I love praying in tongues. I love it. But before we get there, this is what this feels like. The healing of knowing that he'd be fighting against us both the same. So maybe I'm not crazy. Watch this. Maybe there's not something wrong with me that has somehow entitled me to go through this. Do you you hear that? The problem is, when I don't know that we've both been attacked the same way and I've got to move, I will start to internalize that maybe I did something to deserve what I'm struggling with. And for many of you sitting here today, the enemy has convinced you that your anxiety is a result of your sin. He's convinced you that the reason why you can't sleep, the reason why you have these stress headaches, the reason why you're going through this anxiety is because you just so messed up. So now what happens is, watch the cycle. You start to experience anxiety related to a situation, event. Remember, anxiety is about 
my fear related to a perceived threat or future event, right? So I start to experience anxiety. Now watch the enemy. Then the enemy comes on top of the anxiety that I'm already feeling and puts more on top of it by making me anxious about who I used to be. So now I'm anxious about where the rent's going to come from this month. And I'm anxious about why I'm not better in this season of my life than I was then. Then I don't talk about it. So now there's the third level of anxiety on top of that, which is I'm alone in this. I'm going to be alone forever. Don't nobody know what I'm going through. Fourth level of anxiety. Watch this. Then the enemy comes and says, you just ain't got no help. Where are your people to support you, right? And this is the enemy's web to literally spin you out of control. The moment I share it is the moment I disarm the power of the enemy by displaying and showing that he deals with all of us the same. It's not a measure of worth. It's not a measure of crazy. It's not a measure of, it's just life. Look at somebody say, it's just life. It's just life, man. It's just life. Those are the four truths we unpack. The fourth is important because it leads me to the fifth. I'm going to present to you something that seems controversial, and I'll prove it in Scripture. What would you say if I told you that Jesus, the Son of God, eternally existent, John calls Jesus the Word, who in the beginning was with God and in the beginning was God. This Jesus by whom the entire world was created. Jesus, the word that is spoken. God says, let there be light. The word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, Jesus, the light of the world. That Jesus. Healer who has proven in his experience with Lazarus that even death is no match for him. Jesus, who has the ability to communicate with nature and nature responds. Jesus, who stands on a boat with his disciples and speaks to a ravenous storm that is tossing the boat with his disciples to and fro. The Jesus who stands upon the boat, who looks into a distant sky and says, peace be still. And elements of nature remember that the voice that they're hearing is the same voice. It is the same word that they heard at creation. So they respond and they cease. This Jesus who communicates with demons. Demons that are otherwise able to take over the lives of individuals, their minds, their possessions, and and make them do weird things like throw themselves in the fire or hang out around cemeteries. And Jesus shows up and the same demons that were able to overtake the lives of these people and make them commit same self-harm are the same demons that when they see Jesus, they back up and say, why are you disturbing us before it's our time? Jesus, who is able to take uh, two fish and five loaves, the provision for one boy for one day, and make it enough to feed 5,000, not counting women and children. The Jesus who is able to talk to religious leaders who otherwise have the power to confuse even the best of us with the law. 
They could take scripture and spin us around with it and make us wonder if we even knew the God of Moses. Those those same people are the ones who this Jesus is able to have a discussion with and ask them one question that leaves them silent for the rest of the week. What if I told you that that Jesus dealt with anxiety? What if I told you that one, that Jesus, dealt with anxiety? Go to Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 39. Luke 22, verse 39. And it says this, Jesus, and he came out and went as he was wont, as he was accustomed, as he usually did, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and he kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Verse 44. And being in a what? What does your Bible say? agony. We're going to unpack that. He started to pray more. He prayed harder. He prayed more intensely. King James Version says he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is the first picture we get of Jesus. First of all, in a weakened physical state. The last time we've seen Jesus like this, oh God, thank you, Jesus, was at the very beginning of his ministry when he had fasted 40 days and was tempted of the devil. Y'all remember that? That was the first time that we're, intri- that we're introduced to a physically impaired Jesus. For the rest of the story, We'll hear about Jesus in his strength. We'll hear about Jesus in his power. We'll hear about Jesus who makes these long journeys throughout his ministerial career. But at the beginning and the end, we hear about Jesus, first of all, who is physically impacted. Second of all, this is the first time we hear about Jesus who is emotionally distanced from his assignment. In all the other times we see Jesus, He just kind of moves into action. He kind of shows up on the scene and he does what he needs to do. And even when Jesus expresses emotion, it's not that he is just over being Jesus. Give an example. We see when Jesus goes to heal Lazarus, the Bible says that Jesus wept. So he experienced some emotion. But he still was like, all right, let's raise him back. In the garden, he says, I don't want to do this. We've seen Jesus when he talks to his mom and he says, I'm going to get to it eventually. Just don't make me do it before my time. And then Jesus' mama in true black mom fashion says, anybody responding to you, you, the disciples, whatever you say to do, he's going to do what I say. Whatever you tell y'all to do, y'all do it. All right. 
So we've seen Jesus at varying emotions, but it's never been this deep before. It's never been where Jesus looks at Jesus' own assignment and says, hey, you know what? I actually don't want this. So he's physically impaired. He is emotionally distanced from his assignment. And he is spiritually oppressed. This is important because remember that anxiety happens where? Y'all remember this from three parts ago? Anxiety happens on all three levels. We talked about that. Anxiety happens on all three levels. What levels are we talking about? Fantastic. It happens physically. It happens in the soulish realm, which is my mind, my will, and my emotions. And it happens in the spirit. Happens in the flesh, in my body. Anxiety happens in my emotions, my will. We call that the soul. And it happens in the realm of the spirit. Jesus is experiencing anxiety on all three levels. Why? A couple reasons. Jesus has already taken a step down to live in a body. Jesus has already inconvenienced himself just to walk among us. Jesus, who has eternally existed in spirit form, has already, watch this, has already taken on limits to be amongst us. Limits of time, limits of the physical body. Now, on top of that, the one who is the source of life now has to taste death. Have you ever known something was coming up that you have no point of reference for? Anybody ever um, been in a situation where you have never had legal trouble and you go to court for the first time? And your only frame of reference is either what you've seen on TV or your cousin and them that's been, you know, in and out a few times. The anxiety that creates when you now have to endure something you have no point of reference for. Anybody have to assume the call of parenting and you didn't have that role in your life? So you now have to be a mother and you didn't have one. You now have to be a father and you didn't have one. So now you have the anxiety that creates, the fear that it creates when now I have to go be and embrace something that I don't have a point of reference for. Jesus is experiencing anxiety because he now has to face and he now has to live through for us what he's never tasted before. The Prince of Peace has to endure a death of violence. Won't you see this with me? If Jesus had to die for our sins, why he couldn't just lay down, die in his sleep? They realize he ain't been up for about four or five days. He must be gone. And then he comes back. Problem solved. Sins forgiven. Let's shout. The Prince of Peace, as a part of the job description, God, I feel good. When the HR office of heaven pulls Jesus in to send him down for this assignment on earth, they say, hey, fam, um, a part of the qualification of this assignment is that you're going to have to die. But a central part of it is the way you die is going to be very, very, very specific. 
It's going to involve nails. It's going to involve blood. It's going to involve people spitting on you. Watch this. It's going to involve your mutilated body having to carry your cross on top of being broken. I wish I had time to deal with that. I wish I had time to deal with the plight of the believer when you have to carry an assignment when you're physically broken. I wish I had time to deal with you when your assignment doesn't stop even while you're in anxiety. I wish I had time to minister to every mother that had to keep mothering through your own brokenness, through every parent that had to keep parenting through your own frustration, through every pastor that had to keep pastoring through your own loneliness, through every person that had to keep loving through your own disintegration. There's something powerful about the fact that Jesus knows what it is to still have to carry your assignment even when you're broken. The job description is you, you, you don't just die. You die in a very specific way. Watch this. God, I love you. Jesus is all-knowing. So it serves as a blessing and a curse. It's a curse because Jesus has already seen every second of how this will play out. See, see, the benefit I get of danger is that I don't know it's coming. So as crazy as it is, even though I can't prepare for it, I don't know it's coming. Jesus already has a picture of every act of violence that will be done to him. Let me take it a step deeper. Jesus has already seen the face of everyone who will be involved in the process. Watch this. Perhaps he's already seen those faces in the crowd while he was preaching and has to preach to them knowing that you're going to be the same one in about a year and a half that's going to be a voice that allows me to be killed. Take a step. Jesus is aware that the one benefit that Jesus had above all. If we were to ask Jesus, hey, what's the best part about your life, Jesus? What's the best part? Is it that you can heal people? Because that's kind of cool. I want to heal. That's exciting. Is it, is it, is it that whole fish and loaves thing? That looks cool, Jesus, because let me, let me tell you something. If I could do that, I wouldn't have to go to food for less. If I could do that, ordering McDonald's would be way easier because we just order a Happy Meal and we're going to feed the whole neighborhood off this Happy Meal. <laughs> let me, listen, let me just get a dollar small fry and let me get just like, I don't even need six McNuggets. Give me two. <laughs> I work miracles. <laughs> Give me two. We'll be fine. I just, what's the best part about your life, Jesus? You know what I think Jesus would say? How close I am to the Father. I think Jesus would say, how close I am with the origin of all creation. He says, he says, he says, he says I'm so close, Jesus says, I and the Father, he says, he says, I, I'm, I'm so close that when you see me, we're so close the Bible say in the beginning, the Bible, that's when it feels good, the Bible. That's how they said it when I was growing up. Not the Bible, the Bible. The Bible say that 
first thing we start talking about was, let us make man. That's how close we are. We just, we just be talking. Just be talking. We just close. But in the process of dying, for some folk that ain't even going to love me like that, it's going to require me to be separated from the very thing that's given me life for this long. In order for Jesus to secure our salvation and reconcile us back to God, Jesus has to fulfill the wrath of God. That wrath is separation. The punishment of sin is that whenever I sin, it separates. Sin separates me from God. So it's not just that his death has to be violent. That's physical. But the emotional death of having to be separated from the father that you've been perfect to. I got to be separated from you so these people that don't love you like that can be close to you. Jesus has already seen the way the crown of thorns is going to fix his head. He's he's already seen and navigated that that, that blood's going to drip into his eye. And he, he already knows that the that the combination of having been punched in the face and for the salt of your sweat to drip into your eye. He, he, he's already seen that there's going to be some people who he has healed who are going to stand on the side and root for his death. Now, he's already seen this and all this is on his mind when he kneels down to pray. All of this is on the mind of the Savior when he kneels down to pray. I'm telling you this because what I'm coming to destroy is that idea that there's something wrong with you because of what you've been facing. Jesus, now remember I said he's all-knowing, and it's a blessing and a curse. The curse, right? Watch this. The blessing is he knows that on the other side of it is victory. But his future victory still does not eliminate his present anxiety. I can know that everything's going to work out and still be afraid of having to go through it. I can know the Lord is going to save my child and still be afraid of where they are tonight. I can know the Lord is going to sustain my business because the Lord promised me that, but still be afraid of what's going to happen in this economy. Jesus knows that on the other end of all this is victory. And the Bible says that he is there in agony. Everybody say agony. Say it one more time. Say agony. Textually, how do we arrive at this? How do we arrive at Jesus and anxiety? How do we arrive at this? Because of this one word, agony. Agony in the Greek word, in the Greek is agonia. Agonia. Everybody be deep for a second. Just say agonia. Look at y'all. You speak Greek. The oil is all on you. Luke says that Jesus was in agony. The Greek word for agony is agonia. A-G-O-N-I-A. Agonia comes from the root word agon, A-G-O-N. It means nothing to us, but the Greeks, as they were reading this, would have perfectly understood what was being communicated. Because agon was a place where you would come to watch battles occur. And the idea was you would put two people in the center of this small arena, And have them struggle against each other until one overcame the other to prove their superior might. Is everybody with me so far? Agon refers to what's happening in Greek culture, which is get everybody in a small arena 
have two opposing forces literally go. And the specific goal is to watch them wrestle to see which one is stronger, which one will oppose the other. What Luke is saying is when Jesus sits down to pray, his brain, his mind has become like an agon. Luke is saying when Jesus sits down to pray, it's like two things are warring against each other in his head trying to figure out which one is going to win out. Have you ever felt like you wasn't even in your body no more? Like somehow you had lost control of your own mind and it had become an arena. And there were spectators and, and there were all kind of folk inside your mind except you. And you were watching as though there's a literal battle of two strong forces pushing against one. And, and the other's pushing back against the other. And you're pushing against it. And, and it's pushing against the other. And you wonder, which one's going to win? Jesus, my Savior. His mind has become an agon. Let me tell you why. Somebody say why. Because the enemy wanted to kill him before he had a chance to give his life. All the enemy wants is for you in the agon of your mind to succumb to his pressure so that you realize or don't ever get the chance to see that the greater force lives in you. That's why it's not, it's not casual when Bishop says the greater one lives in us. Oh my goodness. I wish, I wish you'd get with me on this. It's not casual when Bishop says the greater one lives in us. What Bishop is doing is giving you imagery that when your mind has turned into an agon, just don't forget, hey, Baba, don't forget that the greater force, I know it's been hard, but just don't forget that the greater force. I'm not saying that you haven't experienced a just don't forget that the greater force. I'm not saying it's not difficult. I'm not saying that your struggles aren't valid. I'm not saying that, that, that you're not experiencing what you're experiencing. I'm just telling you, don't forget that in the agon of your mind, the greater force lives in you. And, and, and if you're able to hold on and to navigate it, there, there is an opportunity to see the greater force overpower what's been attacking you. I feel the glory of God. Luke says, the mind of Jesus has become an agon. Now, now, here's why I love this. I love this because it frees me for when my struggle, watch this, is more mental than it is external. And for some of you who have felt so condemned, because if we look at the outside of your life, things are good. If we look at the outside of your life, you, you are married. If we look at the outside of your life, you have a job. If we look at the outside of your life, you own some property. If we look at the outside of your life, you do really well. You've got great influence. And so you feel like because the battle is primarily in your mind that you don't get a pass. I don't get room to process because I, I know there are other people who are really struggling. I paid my rent just fine this week, this month. I, my business is doing well. I've got three degrees. Whatever the testimony might be on the outside. And so you think that because some of those elements are not in your story, you don't get the opportunity to grieve what you're dealing with. The devil is alive. Because Jesus says, everything is going right on the outside. But at this moment, the battle I'm facing is up here. At this present moment, 
I didn't heal folk. I got a great reputation. At this moment, my mind is so tumultuous. My mind is so painful. Watch this. That my response is that I don't want to do this anymore. My response. Oh, God. Here it is. Here it is. If Jesus was able to give away his purpose, he might have physically lived, but his purpose would have died. The prayer is, if thou be willing, let this cup pass from me, the cup of death, the cup of God's wrath, right? If Jesus had been successful with that prayer, he might have escaped the physical death, but what would have died was his purpose. The fifth truth about anxiety. That the Savior that you serve decided to say yes to experiencing anxiety so you wouldn't be ashamed about yours. The fifth truth about anxiety is that the Savior that you serve, the one who purchased your salvation, the one whose blood has redeemed you, decided to go this route through death. To experience anxiety so that you wouldn't have to be ashamed of yours. Princeton, how do you talk about that stuff so freely? Because Jesus went through it. How how are you so open about it? Because Jesus went through it. How did you find the courage to to open up about that? Because Jesus went through it. How do you still worship even though it ain't all ironed out yet? Because Jesus went through it. He experienced it on every level. The Bible says, um, that, that he was experiencing emotionally. Uh, I don't have time to unpack this. We see some of the emotional strain that Jesus is dealing with because he asked his father, he says this, he says, if thou be willing. Now the other gospels translated something different. The other gospels record this prayer as Jesus saying, if it be possible. But I want you to hear the heart's difference between possible and willing. Possible says, can you? Willing says, do you want to? Anybody can ask God, is it possible? But a son shows up and says, I know it's possible. I done seen you do stuff. But can you look at my pain and my pain move you to make a different decision about what I have to go through? Do you love me enough to see me hurting and want to rescue me from this hurt? That's the kind of emotional anxiety Jesus is in. He appeals to God the Father and says, You see me hurting. Come on, make another way for this. He's going through it physically because Luke is a physical doctor. And so he is uh, pretty interested in that he's the only interesting and that he's the only one that brings this up. And we're moving. He's the only one that brings up this whole concept about sweat running down as blood. Okay. I want to be fancy for a moment. The medical term for this is hematidrosis. Come on, tongues. Hallelujah. (laughs) The medical term is hematidrosis. It is the process of sweating blood. Now, you can go through commentaries and people have two different perspectives on this. Some will believe that it ran down as blood, so it's just sweat, but it ran down with the profusion as blood. Others say it's this actual medical condition where it was sweat as blood. It's not the point. The point is it manifested itself physically. So that Jesus could identify with every one of your stress headaches. So that Jesus could identify with every time you didn't feel like eating because of anxiety. 
so that Jesus could identify with every time you were under so much weight that you started losing your breath? So that Jesus could identify with every panic attack? So that Jesus could identify with every time your anxiety builds up so much in a way that it has a physical manifestation. Jesus says, yep, I've been there. He's going through it emotionally. He's going through it physically, but he's also going through it spiritually. How do we know? Watch this. Because the Bible says that an angel, not a doctor, not Jesus' therapist, not Jesus' best friend, because they were asleep. What had to give him strength was something from the spirit realm. There had to be something that came from heaven that said, the power you need to make it through this is going to be a little deeper than what you've seen before. You, it's not just on your physical level. It's not just your emotion. But what's going to get you through it is something has got to get in your spirit that's going to sustain you until it gets in your body. Yes, Lord. Something's got to get in your spirit that sustains you until your emotions have enough time to process. Until you get enough time to work through so much healing when you get the victory from the fact that Jesus, number one, lived your experience. Write that down. I'm done. Luke 22 teaches us that Jesus lived my experience. So he knows how I feel. Why are you holding things from the one who knows how you feel? Why are you afraid to talk about it if he knows how you feel? Why won't you address it if he knows how you feel? Jesus lived my experience so he knows how I feel. One of the things that I wish I had time to do is to take you through all the elements of of the cross to show you what experience Jesus is trying to pull shame away from. If you go back and read the, the crucifixion narrative, everything Jesus does is so that there is not one part of our experience that we can say he can't relate to. He lived my experience so he knows how I feel. Number two. I know how the story plays out. I'm not going to take us to the tomb and the resurrection today because it's not what the sermon is about. We know victory's going to happen. We know that. But the problem is we can't acknowledge what we're going through in the meantime to get to victory. So sometimes we're so busy preaching the third day that he got up that we don't spend enough time to get people out of the garden so you can get up. I can't resurrect you if I never get you out of the garden. And I can't get you out of the garden if you don't know that the person who who is your victory went through the garden. So it's number two, the victory that I have is that Jesus defeated death. So anything that's killing me doesn't have to control me. The first, Jesus lived my experience. That's number one. So he knows how I feel. Number two, Jesus defeated death. So anything that's killing me doesn't have to control me. And the last thing, number three. Jesus went through it so that he could conquer my shame. Never again will you be ashamed of what Jesus conquered. Never again will you be ashamed of what Jesus conquered. It's shame that's prevented you from asking for help. It's shame that's prevented you from worshiping when you need worship. 
It's been shame that has prevented you from going before the throne of grace. The Bible says boldly so that we can find grace and obtain favor so that we can find grace and mercy to help. So Jesus says, the biggest truth you need to know is that I already went through it. May that truth set you free this week. May you look at everything you go through differently because your savior identifies with your pain. Sometimes the message of hope is not it's all going to be all right. Sometimes the hope is that he's with me. I got to go. But I just said sometimes the message of hope is not that it's all going to be all right. I know that. Sometimes all I need to know is that right now he's with me. Everybody stand. He's with you. He's with you. He's with you. On the side of your bed at 3 a.m., he's with you. Deciding whether or not you're going to take pills, he's with you. When you're in your car wondering how things are going to work out, he's with you. Sitting up wondering whether your child is going to call, he's with you. Wondering where money's going to come from, he's with you. Trying to figure out how these kids are going to act, he's with you. When you're waiting on a diagnosis from the doctor, he's with you. As you're going into chemo and radiator, he's with you. I feel you, Holy Ghost. As you're walking up and down the street, he's with you. When you don't know whether or not that college is going to accept you, he's with you. When you're feeling nervous because they're going through layoffs on the job, he's with you. When you don't know what's going to happen to your family member, he's with you. When you don't know about what's going to be in your future, he's with you. When you're struggling because all your last dating relationships failed, he's with you. When you want to cut yourself because you don't believe that you're worth anything, he's with you. When you don't feel good enough to be called, he's with you. Every time you thought that you were going to quit because you weren't enough, he's with you. Every time you thought that it just wasn't worth it anymore, he's with you. Every time you tried to pray, but all that was on your mind was how much stuff you were going through, he's with you. Every time your brain felt more like an agon than a place of thought, he's been with you. Every time that you cried, he's been with you. Through every stress headache, he's been with you. Yes, God. Through every panic attack, he's been with you. I hear your Holy Ghost. He says, Lord, I am with you always, 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 always. Always, 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 always. I am the God of your valley. I am the God of your confusion. I'm the God of your depression. I'm the God of your insecurities. I'm the God of your loneliness. I am the God of your budget. I am the God of your prescription. I am the God of your diagnosis. I am the God of who you've been dating. I am the God of your relationship. I am the God of your family. And I declare, saith God, that I am with you. I'm going to go on. I'm going to keep on fighting because God Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it might feel like death, it might feel like death, it might look like death, but I will not fear because thou art with me. Father, I release your blessing over this house that these people who have come into this church ashamed and afraid might leave never the same because there's been a divine revelation that you, the God of eternity, are not too big to identify with our shortcomings. You're not too perfect to not identify or to identify with what we've gone through. But I thank you that so it is, so it shall be. As it is in heaven, it shall be in the earth that we are not alone. And that comfort will lead us to keep going. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. There it is. Listen, um, I hope you were blessed by that. I think to me, the greatest part about the Christian narrative, which is one of the main reasons why I'm a, I'm a Christian, 
is that in my worldview, in my Christology, the study of who Christ is as both 100% human and 100% God, is that my concept of God is that God identified with my experience. <laughs> like, I think that's worth holding on to. I think that's worth trusting in and worshiping is that the God that I serve is not just somewhere chilling and, and in the clouds with his feet propped up, if that were a thing. I think that's what a lot of people imagine who's sort of laughing at what goes on in the world. No, I have a God conscience and a view of God based upon scripture that helps me understand that God has always cared about my experience. Um, and I find that replete in scripture, but then also that God identified with my experience through Jesus. And I'm a firm believer that, that there is no part, the Bible says that there's no temptation taking us except such as is common to man. So that means that all the other people know what I'm going through, but y'all, the crazy part is that Jesus knows what I'm going through. That the Bible says that we have not a high priest who cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted just like we were. That means that everything I go through, I don't have to be ashamed of because Jesus came and lived that most of his life was not just about saving me. It was also about living as me. That's a whole nother conversation that Jesus, before he became an advocate, first lived the experience that he wanted to advocate for, which is why. Jesus is such a dope advocate to the father because he ain't talking about stuff that he just seen. He's talking about stuff that he knows. So when he's forgiving me for sin, when he's weeping with me, when he's getting angry over injustice with me, it's because he lived the experience. And y'all, that's probably, well, I'm not going to say that's my favorite because you're not going to listen to the other parts, but <laughs> it's one of my favorite parts of this whole anxiety series. So listen, y'all, we got more. I hope this is blessing you. And uh, I know it's long, but I just, I don't know that anybody ever went into this kind of depth when I was growing up in church about this topic. And maybe they did in the context where you grow up with. And if they did, then you are blessed and go help other people. But if they didn't, I hope this is blessing you that we got knee deep into this topic so you can get freedom. The next time you're about to pray, the next time God feels distant in your experience, I want you to remember this episode and say, hold up. You know how I feel. And you don't just know because you're looking at me. You know because you dealt with it i love you all so 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 much thank you for rocking with me this has been an amazing experience so far and i hope that the next episodes that are to come are going to keep blessing you don't forget you can follow me on instagram at princeton parker twitter the same thing facebook at princeton speaks but the big thing is like share and subscribe to the podcast and y'all hit a brother up you know i don't be knowing y'all listening until they send me an email to say the podcast been downloaded a thousand times why don't you say something to your boy you know what i'm saying you know Throw a DM, throw a little mention, huh? My God, today. <laughs> but no, thank you for listening and send this to somebody who you know it is going to help. Again, I love y'all. And as we close every podcast with God as your foundation and purpose as your motivation, you know what it is. Keep building family. Keep building family.